Thank you, Paul. It's great to be with you today. We bring, bring uh, greetings from Kansas City. Uh, if you haven't heard, we've got a new mayor in town. Yeah, his name is Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and uh, the pride of East Texas. And so, uh, yeah, he has pretty much taken over the city. We're glad to be with you today. And I know you brought your Bible with you if you'd find it to open it to the book of Philippians. It's going to be my preaching text for today. I want to preach to you about the great need for encouragement. First off, the New Testament is replete with these admonitions to encourage one another. But here's how important encouragement is. When we look at the proof text for coming together to worship, here's what it says, and let us consider one another to stir up love and to do good works, not neglecting the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but let's encourage one another, exhort one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so being dismissed from the house of God for nearly three months, and while we've been able to watch it online, and uh, certainly that can be edifying, there is just something about coming together with God's people every Sunday, and uh, I know you've missed it, and so have I. And uh, we're just glad to be back. We're glad to be here today. We want to be an encouragement to you as well. So coming to church certainly is about worshiping our God. We've had wonderful worship music that's taken us to the throne of God today. I pray through the preaching of God's Word that you're edified and built up. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But also there is this need to be encouraging one to another. All the way back in January, which seems like uh, a dozen years ago now, I set seven goals for myself. And one of those goals was to be an encourager, to seek to, to, to encourage God's people along the way and, and be a blessing to them. And I think it was driven because I had gotten a photocopy of a note uh, that I had written back in 1985. Uh, a young man was at the time, I was pastoring down in rural southern Oklahoma and bivocationally, and he was just out of college and kind of helping me uh, part-time with the youth. And so I wrote Mike a note, and, and I, uh, which I had even forgotten about, of course, but just told him uh, how, how good a job he had been doing with the youth and what uh, a blessing he had been, the difference he had made, and how he had been gifted by God to be a leader, and uh, that God had incredible things for him if he would remain faithful to God. He sends me a copy of this note, and uh, I, I, he, he said this, Steve, I can't tell you how many times over the year I've pulled out this note and read it again. You know, here's what I know about encouragement. It does have a long shelf life. And if we'll be encouragers as well, we'll be encouraged quite the same. Everyone could use some encouragement. Mark Twain one time said, I can go two months on one compliment. Well, this text out of Philippians chapter 2 uh, is uh, uh, about uh, addressed to the church founded in Acts 16. You remember Paul, uh, uh, he, 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 on his first missionary journey, he found... This, uh, he, he, let me say, I'll say this right. He plants this church, and uh, he, he begins to flourish, and it began to grow. And so he wrote some admonitions back to the church saying these things. First off, I want to thank you. You've sent me this financial gift because he'd been house arrest, house arrest in uh, Rome, and he needed some financial help because it cost to be in prison. Imagine that. But also... There was uh, a need for the church to come together for the purpose of advancing the gospel. He mentions four times in chapter one about how the gospel needed to go forth. 
And then he said this, there's also a problem in the church because you're not unified. There's some strife, there's some uh, disagreements, there's some issues, there's some unresolved matters that need to be uh, uh, changed and need to be formulated and, and, and the church needs to move forward. So now he mentions here in chapter two, this universal need of encouragement and he states, it really is the antidote for all of the problems that you're having with this disagreement and this complaining and this arguing. And later in this chapter, he would say, we're to do all things without complaining or arguing. But here in chapter two, as he begins to write, he says, part of the resolve will be if you'll encourage one another. Would you stand out of reading God's word today? I'm gonna preach in the first five verses. What we're gonna do is walk through this text of scripture and uh, just kind of unpack it. See if God doesn't speak to your heart about the need to be and the need of encouragement. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the spirit, fellowship, it may say in your translation there, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but also in the interests of others. And have this mind, or have this attitude, it says in some translations, have this mind in you among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, today we're grateful for the privilege of opening the Word of God to the people of God, and we pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and speak, Lord, to each and every individual who are here today. We realize you always have a word to the church, but you have a church, a, a, a church to stay on mission, and individually you use us as only you can. And so I pray for individual members that are here today. I pray that you would encourage us as we seek to encourage one another. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our need of encouragement. The first thing I noticed in this text of Scripture is there is a call for encouragement. If there be any encouragement in Christ Jesus, uh, that I think King James is, uses the, the, the word consolation there. It's an interesting word in the Greek New Testament. It's parakaleo. Para means alongside, and kaleo is to call. It's to call alongside. It's that it's that same word that's used in John 17 to, that's communicated the Holy Spirit or the Comforter who comes alongside of us. Now, technically, the Holy Spirit doesn't come alongside of us, but he does fill us with his Spirit because when we get Christ Jesus our Lord, we get God the Father. We have Jesus Christ as our Savior, but also we get the third person of the Trinity, the shy member of the Trinity, and he not only guides us in all truth, he dwells in our heart, through faith in Christ, but he also is our God, our teacher, and he seals us until the day of redemption. So under A, first I noticed the source of encouragement because he said we are in Christ. We are abiding in Christ as believers in Jesus Christ. John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Paul would write in Romans 15, 5, may the God of patience and encouragement grant to you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. So he calls our God, the great God, 
the God of patience, and also the God of encouragement. So since our God is a God of encouragement, shouldn't it compel us as well to come alongside others as the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to encourage us in our own faith? You know, one of my life verses is found over in 1 Kings 12, 7. Just a little background. You remember Rehoboam is taking over the crown from his father Solomon, and he goes to the elders to get some advice on how he should leave the country, lead the country. And so here's what they told him, great leadership advice. He said, if, if, they, they told him, if you'll be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. Do you understand that advice? If you'll serve these people and you'll answer them and you'll speak good words to them, you'll, you'll in turn see they'll be your servants forever. Unfortunately, he rejected that sage advice and and I'm just simply telling you this, when you speak good words, it builds others up. It blesses them. It is transformational and it's inspirational. Hebrews 3 says, encourage one another while it's still called today, lest any of you become hardened, listen to this, through the deceitfulness of sin. So it seems if we do without encouraging one another, there's a sense or there's a chance that Others are, are fall into this deceitfulness of sin. And something about encouragement keeps us from falling into sin. So I think we would agree that it's needed. And as the text says, it's needed today. Do it without delay, without procrastination, without hesitation. You know, it's curious to me if encouragement is so needful, why in the world are we so reluctant to do it? I, you know, I think it's this. It's usually because we're a little too self-absorbed with our own issues and life concerns, and we just really aren't worried about anybody else because we're worried about number one. But you know, God's Word tells us this, we're to bear one another's burdens, and when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. And as surely as Christ dwells within us, giving us hope and help and harmony within, we too are to give what we've been given. And Jesus said, freely, freely, you've received this, so freely, freely give. That indeed is the truth of the source. We are in Christ. He goes on to talk about the supply because he, he says we have participation in the Spirit. We have fellowship. It's that Greek word koinonia, translated in the ESV that we read, participation. It means partnership. It means that we have fellowship, that we have these things in common. And so as believers, Christ Jesus, our Savior, our God, God is our Father, and indeed we find that the Holy Spirit is our supply. He is our supply. And if we live our lives full of the Spirit, it makes all the difference in our life. You know the text out of Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine which leads to reckless action, but instead be filled with the Spirit of God, teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace, and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to everything through God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The supply is indeed we have participation in the Spirit. And then he talks about the shame because he moves here how his joy could be restored if the church would be unified. If the church is like-minded, if they're uh, together, 
And if they're not, he says, this would cause grief and shame because of this lack of unity. And this is one of the reasons that he wrote this epistle that we talked about. You remember over in chapter 4, he addresses some specific proper names in the church. Euodia and Syntyche. Euodia and Syntyche. You remember those names? He says, why don't you get along? And he says, true yoke fellow, you help these uh, the, these individuals get along with one another. There's no joy when people can't get along. Listen, it's true in God's house. It's, it's true in the workplace. It's true on a sports team. You know, when there's not compatibility and people can't get along, I'm telling you, it is never a good thing. When there's distrust, when there's accusations, can God be glorified in any of that? Of course he can't. If we have a tendency to want to, to see people's faults and, and, and tell them where they're wrong or, 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 or why our point of view is a better point of view than them, than the one that they have, here, here's what I like to say. Correction can help, but encouragement will do so much more. The resolve is found in giving a little grace. <laughs> giving a little mercy. We have a common bond in Jesus Christ. But you know, I, I've learned this. If you want the church to be unified, it never seems to happen because you preach on unity. <laughs> you know what, how it happens? It's a byproduct of preaching on Jesus. It's what happens. And it's not surprising in the text after Paul talks about this issue of strife and, and, and disunity he jettisons then to preach about Jesus and let this attitude be in you that was also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant made in the likeness of men and now found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him, given him a name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, things of heaven, of things of earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He said, you know, it's really not so much of telling people where they have gone wrong, but let's, let's just give them a full dose of Jesus here. Let me tell you, to be much of an encourager, you have to be living your life with this attitude and let this attitude be in you that's also in Jesus. If you allow yourself to be agitated by other people's imperfections, it will block your fellowship with God. You've got to be empowered by the Spirit, and it's God's call for us. Can we agree on that today? There is a call for encouragement. I want to move quickly and secondly talk about the characteristics for the encourager. The characteristics for the encourager. Verses 3 and 5, so after addressing the need in Christ Jesus, God gives us the source and the supply of these encouragers. Now he gets specific on things that keep us from doing that. And Paul gets specific on personal responsibility, and he says, look, this will be a problem Verses 3 and 4, if you live unselfishly, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but walk in humility. He said, there's a reason that the church can't get along is being sabotaged. 
is because most people are most interested in having their own way. And someone with a different point of view, a different opinion has resulted in chaos and disunity and disagreement and strife. So here's the solution. And he brings up this idea of submission. Consider others better than yourselves. Submit to them. Can I tell you, I, I, I would go as far to say this. The word submit may be the most critical word in the Christian life. You've got to learn to submit. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, if any man will come after me, he's going to have to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We're called to live in submission. What's it say in Romans 13, 1? We're to submit to governing authorities. In Ephesians 5, 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for God. We're God-fearers. We, we submit to one another. But the reason the word submit sometimes is offensive to some is because submissive is seen as inequality, but it's not that at all, is it? The whole scope of Jesus' ministry, he's submitting to the Father. And it certainly wasn't relative to him being inferior to the Father. They're obviously equals. But in God's sovereign plan, the Son would submit to the Father. That was God's plan. And can I tell you, God has a plan for the family as well. And that's for men to lead to lead the family. we got a good group of men here today. God bless you guys. Be leaders. Lead your family spiritually. We're to live unselfishly, he's talking about. And I, 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 can, I think I can say this, that unselfish people are encouragers, but selfish people never seem to encourage anyone. Why? Because it's all about them. They're not givers, they're takers. These people are narcissistic, and oftentimes their relationships are toxic. Listen, it's true the emptiest man in this room is the man most full of himself. Man, I don't know of a better illustration than what I'm talking about in the Bible. We know is a man named Barnabas. He was named Joseph, you remember, but he was such an encourager that his name was changed to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. We're, we're introduced to him in Acts chapter 4. You remember what had happened. He had some island property in Cyprus, beautiful island in the Mediterranean. And Mary and I went on a Holy Land cruise a few years ago and had privilege to be at that beautiful spot. And uh, I can imagine it was costly property, but he sold his property and he brought the money and he laid it at the feet of the apostles. So here's what I know. If you're giving God your all, you're probably not going to be labeled selfish. <laughs> and this encourager was unselfish. And he had learned the proper understanding of, of stewardship. Stewardship. He managed his, his stuff, his property in a right way, and, and certainly he was acclaimed for it. Actually, you read Acts 5, you get not only that great example of of Barnabas being a good steward, but in contrast, we're introduced to Ananias and Sapphira. You remember, they sold some stuff as well, but they lied to the Holy Spirit and God killed them. And that's a lesson for another time, I suppose. But anyhow, it's, it's about selfishness and it's about being a proper steward. And Barnabas gives us this great example. He was an encourager. 
And if you're selfish and consumed with your, your own self, egocentric, then you probably not be a giver of much of anything. It takes an unselfish person. But, but Paul says also it takes one who's understanding. In verse 1, he writes about having affection and tenderness and being a giver of mercy, traits that come from an empathetic, compassionate person who seeks to understand rather than being condescending. Selfish people aren't encouragers. They're prideful people. They're usually a little pompous, a little bit arrogant, and the little people get on their nerves. They haven't got time for them. So conversely, understanding sympathetic people are people who identify with others in their struggles, with their failures, and they care about their needs. They have a word in season to those that are weary. I immediately think about Barnabas. You follow him a little further. You remember he would go on that first missionary journey that left the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13. The apostle Paul and Barnabas and John Mark went uh, on this first missionary journey. I don't know what happened. Something happened with John Mark and he, he left and went home. And when they get ready to go on the second trip, Paul's not going to take John Mark with him because he came home. He, 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 he didn't tolerate whatever had happened there. But you remember what Barnabas did? And he said, well, John Mark can go with me. And so you got Barnabas taking John Mark going one way, Paul and Silas going the other, and the gospel get, began to spread uh, in, in double time because uh, uh, of the incident. But here's what I want you to see with me. Whatever happened along the way, it seemed Barnabas made this thing work. You see, John Mark would write the gospel of Mark, our, our first gospel, but later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we find that, uh, that Paul is writing, and he specifically said uh, in this final greeting, John Mark sends his greeting, if he comes to you, welcome him, because he's been very helpful to me in the ministry. He said, once I wouldn't have anything to do with him, but this thing's changed. And I'm just telling you, it took a go-between. Somebody who wanted to see the relationship right, who would be a blessing and encourager. Can I tell you, this idea of encouragement is no small matter. It can change a people's life. You know, I retired, as uh, Paul mentioned on the introduction, four years ago now, 26 years at, uh, at our church in Kansas City. And kind of the summation I, I, I said in, of the ministry, I believe to be true, and I think you would agree. You see, people won't remember what you said. Uh, people might not even remember what you do, but people will remember how you treated them. That's really what this is about, how you treat others. Speak good words, because God's looking for some Barnabases, people who will be encouragers. Listen, we live in a broken and battered world where everything now seemingly is upside down, where good is called evil and evil is called good. But I'm just telling you, if you want to make things a little better in your circle of influence, why don't you begin to encourage a few folks? It's easy to get a cynical attitude. I am the chief of sinners because we look around and see all that's going on and it's hard not to be cynical. God help us 
to be those who have a good word, a blessing, an encouraging way that we can help others along the way. Affirm them, encourage them, humble ourselves before them. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that see your good works and then glorify the Father who's in heaven. We can do that. We've got to do that. Well, I quit with this. Not only call for encouragement and the characteristics of the encourager, but I want to quit with the consequence of encouraging. Here's what it'll get you. It really is relative to the way God's economy works. Whatsoever you give away, it comes back to us. It's the law of the harvest. It's the law of reciprocation. It's the law of likeness. It's the law of echoes. Galatians 6, be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, he'll reap. He who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will reap life everlasting. Here's what I'm telling you. If you feel like you've been left out of this encouraging matter, nobody ever encourages me. Could it be that you haven't been encouraging others? Because I say this oftentimes, you can break all the laws in the Bible, but this one, you can't break this one. You reap what you sow. Begin to give it away and see if it doesn't land back in your own lap. The Bible tells us this, and in so many applications, what did Jesus say about our giving? Giving will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Whatever measure you give away, it'll come back and land in your lap. Proverbs 15 says it's true in your speech. A soft answer will turn away wrath, but grievous words stirs up anger. Jesus said in Matthew 7, look, it's true in judging as well. Whatever measure you judge, it's going to be measured back to you as well. You see, it's true in our life. If we will give a little encouragement, we'll be encouraged people. So the consequences of encouragement, a word from a teacher to a student can change a life. The right, timely, and ongoing word to a spouse can save a marriage. A word from a leader can inspire a person to reach their full potential. So the need of encouragement is pervasive. It's vital for everyone regardless of who we are. I remember this story. I'll quit with this. As you remember, on April 14, 1865, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth at Ford's Theater. The night he was murdered, there were five things found in his pocket, and they're now in the Library of Congress. One was a handkerchief with a monogram on it that said, A. Lincoln. Another was a little penknife, a, a small little penknife that he was carrying, pocket knife. The other thing um, was a, a spectacles case that he had wrapped with string, I guess, where he put his glasses. And then in his billfold was a $5 bill, Confederate money, uniquely enough. But the last thing was a worn-out newspaper article, a clipping, written by British statesman John Bright in a speech that he had called Lincoln one of the greatest men of our time. There is something pretty pathetic about that, isn't there? Here he is, the President of the United States, so need of a good word, encouragement, 
from someone that by a flickering lamp in the Oval Office, he's reaching to find a little article where he can read that someone thinks he's doing okay. I'll tell you, this thing is important. This matter of encouragement is an important deal, and you can make a difference in people's lives. I don't care if you're a part-time youth minister in rural southern Oklahoma named Mike Whitson. It'll be an encouragement to read that you can do it. Or even if you're the President of the United States, someone who said, you're okay, you can be, you're one of the greatest. Let's be people, let's be God's people who encourage one another. Let's make part of what we do when we come to worship the Lord. Do what was needed here in uh, the, the, the New Testament times and needed today. Encourage one another, let's spur one another on to love to do good deeds. Let's don't be selfish. Let's be unselfish. Let's build unity. Let's bring togetherness. And it'll happen if we'll encourage one another. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, little doubt that since your word has preserved the need for us to encourage one another, it's a need in people's life that really is timeless in nature. And I know that uh, those who are here at this 8 o'clock service, they come today out of obedience to you, but still we confess we're needy before you. Help us not to be so consumed with ourselves that we can't see the needs of others. Help us to bear one another's burdens, but help us to be a blessing. Do something positive. Say a word. Hug a neck. Tell somebody they're worthwhile, that we're proud of them, that we love them. So help us to speak up and help us to be a blessing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.